Well, good morning. We are so happy to see you guys here today. Let's try this together. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So glad you all are here. Um, I just wanted to give you kind of an after the Easter egg hunt update. Um, first of all, thank you all so, so, so much for all of your work and donations of eggs and candy and money for this. Um, it wouldn't have been possible without all of your work. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, second of all, we had 6,400 eggs that we hid on Saturday. So good job to all of you. Um, and we had 125 kids sign up. And so that doesn't even include their families that were here and they all heard the gospel. So thank you all so much for all of your help. And God definitely got the glory yesterday. So thank you. Good morning. Happy Easter. He's, uh, he, is risen. he is risen. That was much better than when Alan did it. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, welcome. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to be at the end uh, of the um, Gospel of Luke today. And obviously, Easter is a time we come together to celebrate a risen Jesus. You know, not only is he alive, but he is active active in our lives, active in this world, and we want to make sure to celebrate that. I think we're going to see it uh, in this portion in Luke today uh, as we read through it. So Luke chapter 24, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, were st and while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, they asked him. And he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds and they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that we serve a God who is not dead. We thank you that Jesus is risen, and today on Easter we celebrate him. God, we thank you that not only is he alive, but he is active in this world and in our lives. And God, we know that you've called us You've called us not only to believe this message, but to share this message, to go out into a, a hurt and a broken world and proclaim this truth of who Jesus is, what he has done, and how he was raised from the dead. God, this morning we ask that you would speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, speak to our souls about this message. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
We're going to look at four things, and I think there are four things that Jesus wants us to see, that God wants us to display in his word here. And the four things are not only true for the disciples then, but because it is the risen Jesus, these four, these same four things are going to apply to us. And here they are. Jesus wants us to see four things. First of all, he answers our mind's doubts. He answers our mind's doubts. Secondly, he satisfies our soul's longings. Thirdly, he forms our heart's mission. And finally, he heals our spirit's wounds. Four things I think we are to see in this passage this morning. He answers our mind's doubts. He satisfies our soul's longings. He forms our heart's mission. And he heals our spirit's wounds. All right, so let, let's get back here. The first thing that we see in this portion is he, he answers our mind's doubts. Now, if you know what's going on leading up to this, of course, we know you've probably heard the story of Jesus. You know how he was crucified. Then on the third day, he raised from the dead. And so they show up that morning, and the tomb is empty. There is no Jesus. Angel shows up here and says, well, why, why are you lift, looking for the living among the dead? And then Peter races to the tomb, and he sees the tomb is empty. And then Jesus shows up on the road to Emmaus and begins to talking to these two guys and telling them all that has taken place. He opens their mind to the Scripture and reveals to them. So now they have raced back, and by now they've talked to Mary Magdalene. they talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Peter surely has had this conversation with them. And here they are, having heard from these guys from Emmaus, having heard these stories from this morning, Jesus shows up. And notice how it starts. He says, peace be with you. It starts lovingly. But as the conversation goes on, Jesus challenges them. He argues with them. He wants them to see that he is alive. Look at this. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands. Look at my, my feet. It is me. So they've heard the stories, yet they're still doubting, right? Here are the disciples who've been with him. They see Jesus, and they're like, no, this can't be. And I think this is where it begins. For all of us who look at Jesus, for all of us who look at the story of the resurrection, is that he wants to challenge our minds. He wants to argue with us. He wants us to be able to look at a passage like this and see and have a discussion and look and study and know that the resurrection is true. And his point, and Luke's point here, is that he really is raised from the dead. That this isn't some spiritual or metaphorical thing. It's not something, you know, a feel-good story we could tell our kids. But he wants us to understand it is historical, it was physical, it was real. The resurrection of Jesus. That he really is physically, historically raised from the dead. And before we can go anywhere else, before we can understand anything else, before we can see that he satisfies our soul, that he gives us a mission, that he heals all our wounds, before any of that takes place, we must first understand, man, that, that he wants to answer our doubts. He wants to argue those things with us. He wants to reveal to us that the resurrection is historical truth. He wants us to know it. 
Because without that, all those other things are pointless. And here's the problem. In today's modern world, as we look at today's modern world, uh, people have a different, difficult time with this. They, they don't buy the idea of an actual physical resurrection, right? And many will look at this story, and they'll look at it and say, you know what, these guys, you know what, yeah, they were eyewitnesses, but they wanted this to be true, right? These guys followed Jesus around for, for several years, and then Jesus dies. They, they want this story to be true. So surely they're just kind of making it up. And so this is the argument that many people will say. There, there's a book by N.T. Wright, and he talks about the resurrection, and there's a couple things I, I want to pull from that. But he's talking about this, and he says, you know, when, when looking at kind of that vision literature or those that would write about legends, this is written completely different. It's completely different type of writing. That if you look at this, uh, for an example, here, here's a part of it. If you take the only Old Testament reference to the resurrection, okay, so if I'm a Jew during that time, my only reference to the resurrection is in Daniel chapter 12. And as a Jew who studied the Old Testament, knows the Old Testament, I look at the Old Testament and I see Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. That's my reference to the resurrection. And in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, you know what we see? We see at the end of time, God redeeming his people, there is a resurrection of all of God's people. And there we see in verse 3, it says, and they were shining, right? They were radiant, a bright light. This is the resurrection. That's their picture. So the Jews of the time, as they think about the resurrection, first of all, they don't think about an individual being resurrected. They think about a group of people at the end of time, not in the middle of history, being resurrected, and there's this sense of there's this brightness, and they're shining, and they're radiant, and all of these things. This is the picture of the Jews at the time of what the resurrection is. So if we're going to make up a story about the resurrection, and these eyewitnesses are going to make up a story, and you think about the type of how they're telling this story, is this how it's going to be? And while they were still there and did not believe... Do you have anything to eat? Well, that's pretty riveting. <laughs> Jesus walks in, he's raised from the dead, and he says, do you have anything to eat? I mean, if that doesn't grab you, I, I don't know what would. Do you have anything to eat? And so what happens next? They gave him a piece of boiled, broiled fish. Wow, there it is. You want to talk about believing the story. Oh, they, they, he was hungry, they gave him a piece of fish. That's going to capture me, right? Does that make any sense? If you look at the way things were written, you look at visionary, uh, vision literature or the way legend, legends were written, this is not how you would tell the story. Why are they telling the story like this? Why are they talking about Jesus asking, being hungry and asking for something to eat, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish? Broiled fish, I mean, that didn't even look that appetizing, does it? Why'd they say it? They said it because that's what happened. This is the eyewitness account. This is how the story went down. Jesus in their midst, asking for something to eat, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. The reason the story goes like that is because that's, that's how it happened. That's what took place. Now, we have a modern worldview that says, you know, resurrection, that's impossible, that can't happen, dead people don't rise from the dead, and people will argue, you know, you go back then, during that time, you know, that's just kind of their belief system, they did all those things, when the, re the reality is, 
That's, that's not true. If you would look at two things, you could look at one, you can look at the text, and two, you can look at the history. Look at what was going on during that time. First of all, look at the text. Jesus shows up. What's their response? We knew it, Jesus. We knew you'd do it. We knew you'd raise from the dead. Is that their response? No, that's not their response. What's their response? They can't believe it. They, they don't know what's going on. In fact, you know what? The, they've already been, a few of them have already been over to the grave that morning. A few of them have already encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So here they are all together talking about what has happened. Jesus shows up and their response is, Oh, that ain't him. That's a ghost. They, surely they can't believe. Jesus has to convince them. And even after he says it, they still don't believe, right? He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts in your mind? Look at my hands, my feet. T- you know, touch me and see. I'm not a ghost. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, his feet. And while they still did not believe, <laughs> they still didn't believe. So the text shows us right there. These guys didn't believe. They didn't believe he'd been resurrected. They'd heard even that morning that the grave was empty. They'd heard the story of the road to Emmaus, and now they encounter him, and still they don't believe. So the text shows us. History also would show us. Yeah, the modern world would say that, but they had a viewpoint that was much the same way, that they didn't believe that a resurrection could happen. This is N.T. Wright, again talking. Uh, This is a quote from him in his book, It cannot be stressed too strongly that the first century Jews were not expecting people to rise from the dead as an isolated individual. Resurrection for them, remember based on what happened in Daniel chapter 12, was something that might happen to all on that great future occasion when God brought history to an end and a whole new world was renewed. It will not do, therefore, to say that Jesus' disciples were so stunned and shocked by his death, so unable to come to terms with it, that they projected their shattered hopes onto the screen of fantasy and invented the idea of Jesus' resurrection as a way of coping with their cruelly broken dream. That has an initial apparent psychological plausibility to 20th century people, but it will not work for serious first century history. Would not work. In fact, if you go back and you look at history there were other people who, you know, messianic movements, and there were other uh, similar movements during that time, many who were contemporary of Jesus, happening during the same time. And you know what? Some of them were even killed. Some of them were put to, de- put to death. And you know what happened on all those movements? They ended. Their people scattered. Or they would go and they would find a new leader. Not a single one of them made the statement that, oh, yeah, there's a resurrection. You know Why? Because it wasn't in their belief system. It wasn't in their only concept of that resurrection was for everyone, and it was at the end of time. So there was both through the text and through history, there's nothing like that. The only reason they're saying it happened is because it did. You look at it, and I, I, you know, as you're looking at the story of the disciples and encountering this, and you're also moved by the fact that here are 12 guys telling the story. And you know what? They, they were willing to give up their life for this story. If you look at history and what history says about the disciples, is that all but John were martyred. They were murdered for their belief, for their faith. And you think about that, and you know, I've admittedly told a few lies in my day. Um, sure, they were probably not anytime recently, obviously. But um, 
at what point would you give up that lie? And you think about these disciples who they were all willing to die for this. And, and maybe there's one crazy man that would do that type of thing, willing to go and be murdered for a lie. But all of these guys, and why? Because they had encountered the resurrected Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had seen him, and they encountered the resurrected Jesus, and it changed their life, and they were willing to live for it, and they were willing to die for it. Because it was true. Because it was historically accurate, physical resurrection happened. The only reason they are saying it happened is because it did. They touched him. Listen to the words of John. John says this in 1 John 1.1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. They had seen it. They had encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And what'd they do? Man, we'd seen it. We heard it. We have to proclaim this to the world. What's he saying? Listen, you, you can call us liars, or you can believe what we are saying, but don't tame this story. Don't tame it. We can't take Jesus and say, you know what, he was a good moral man, he was a good moral teacher, there's some principles I can take and I can live and I can teach my kids about. No, that's not what the disciples are saying. They're saying, listen, either you believe the truth or, you, or we're liars, but there's no middle ground with Jesus. If this is true, then it changes everything, doesn't it? If this is true, that if Jesus died and rose from the dead, it is the most significant event in history. And if it's true and the, and the disciples encountered the truth of this, their lives were changed. Changed. And they had to tell the world about this Jesus. They had to tell the world how they encountered Jesus, how they had seen Jesus, how they had touched Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. When we encounter it, it changes everything. And guys, there is no middle ground. You cannot tame Jesus. You cannot tame the story. It either happened or it didn't, and if it happened, man, it changes everything. Everything. I would ask you, let Jesus and let this text debate with you. Let it argue with you. Read through this and understand what Jesus is saying, what he's trying to show you. Have, have that argument. Have that debate. I think he wants to have it with you. And we must first come to this belief and this understanding that this is historically accurate, that it physically happened. Because if we don't understand that and we don't believe it and we haven't answered those doubts in our minds, all these other things that I'm going to talk about, they, they don't matter unless we discover and understand the truth of the resurrection. So, he answers our mind's doubts and secondly, he satisfies our soul's longings. He satisfies our soul's longings. How does he do this? Well, he does it by eating with them. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How does he satisfy our soul's longings by eating with us? You need to understand this first, that in ancient times, ancient people, when they had you for a meal or you had a meal with somebody, that was them inviting you into their life that there was a friendship, there was an intimacy, there was a relationship. 
That it wasn't just, hey, let's go to Mickey D's, grab a hamburger or something like that. No, this was an invitation into their life. If you read Revelation, these are the words of Jesus, Revelation 3.20, it says this, Here am I, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Well, why eat? I mean, that's a pretty sweet verse. I'll come in, open the door. That's a famous verse, right? I will come in and I will eat with that person. It's because it was symbolic of a relationship, an intimacy, a friendship with them. There was this strong relationship. And so we see that, you know, this isn't just Jesus showing up, preaching a message, moving on, that there is this deep, personal, intimate relationship with him. And the same truth that he had for the disciples some 2,000 years ago is that same truth for us, that he satisfies the longings of our soul, that he invites us into friendship, that he invites us into relationship, that he invites us into intimacy with him. And because Jesus has been resurrected, he's telling us the same thing right now, that we can, we can have him. We can really have him, him. When someone dies, you'll, you'll often hear this someone, it, it, you'll hear this statement that, you know, I kind of feel like they're with me still, right? Have you felt that before? Maybe you've lost a loved one or you've heard someone say, there's this kind of this vague feeling that although that person is gone, I still feel them with me. And it's because our heart longs for them still. It's because we still want them. I, I, I saw a tweet this morning by a San Francisco Giants baseball player. And he was ta- his sister-in-law died of an asthma attack two days ago. And he hit a home run the first game afterwards. And he's talking about, I felt your presence there. And you'll hear stories like that. And there's cool stories because there's this, this sense and this longing for him. And this, because you want him there, right? When you lose someone. And that's an incredible thing. But with Jesus, that's not what it is. It's not this vague feeling. It's not this sense of, man, I I long for him to be here. It's a sense that he is risen. He is here. And he invites us to have a friendship and a relationship and an intimacy with him. Not this feeling of somebody, but with with him. Really with him. I think many of us, uh, we kind of grow up with this weird sense. I, I don't know if you remember being a teenager. Some of you are teenagers now. Keeps getting further away from me, but there is always this sense that, you know, you, you see a particular movie or a show, and you can admit it to me, okay, it's just us here this morning, but you, you kind of have a crush on somebody, you know? Have you been there? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay, so, you know, you see a show, you know, it's like, you know, hypothetically, like you're looking at, you're watching The Wonder Years and Winnie's on there, you know, the, the hypotheticals. Um, but you know that sense, a movie, a book, or whatever it might be, and you see someone, you're like, man, if that person was in my life, my life would be perfect, and you know, we have this sense. And then we grow up, and then we marry, and we still have this sense, like, there's got to be somebody there that can fulfill all my longings my soul has, all, all my heart needs, all those things. There's got to be somebody there. And unfortunately, many of us walk into marriage like that, Right? Unfortunately, early in my marriage, my wife realized that wasn't me. (laughs) I'm never going to do that. But that's the reality. We walk into marriage thinking 
that this other person is going to satisfy all our needs, all our desires, all our longings, everything we need. And we find out really quickly that isn't the case, but for better or worse. So there must not be that person that exists. But there is. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. That's what Jesus says, that he invites us. Knock, the door will be opened. You can eat with me. We can commune. We can have relationship. We can have an intimacy of friendship, and it's a friendship only I can offer. A friendship that will satisfy every longing of your soul, every desire of your heart. Only I, only he can offer that. So first, we must understand the truth of the resurrection. We must see that he desires to fill every longing of our soul. How can this be real? Here's how it can be real. The early Jews, uh, when they had a prophet or someone important, or when they had died, you know what happened? Their, Their tomb would be kind of a shrine, right? They would worship that. It happened before Jesus, and it even happened after Jesus, that they would worship, they would go there, they would come there, and they would remember that person. And even within the first few hundred years of the church, it happened. Justin Polycarp, people made a shrine out of his tomb. They knew where it was. These happened before Jesus, it happened after. Now, there is not a shred of evidence that we have any idea of where the tomb of Jesus is. Now, you can go and take a tour and they'll, you know, try to claim they do, but there's no evidence, no evidence that we have any idea where the tomb of Jesus, that within a couple decades, no one had a clue, no one remembered it. Why is that? Why? Here's why. If you have a loved one, what do you do? If you have a loved one who passes away, do you go visit them? Yeah. Many of us, probably all of us in this room, have gone to a graveside to remember somebody that has died. Many of us, if we've lost a spouse or a parent or a grandparent or a child, we remember that. And we may hang on to some some maybe clothes, maybe hang on to something they've given us, where those things have, right, I mean, if I've got a pile of clothes, my my wife gets on me, but if I would to die... I mean, that would have some significance, wouldn't it? Because we want to remember that person. And that's how we do it. We go to their graveside or we hang on to their clothes or, or something like that. But with Jesus, not a shred of evidence. No idea where that tomb would be. Nobody hung on to his clothes. And why? Because it's empty. It's empty. The love object that we desire, the one person who can satisfy all our longings is alive. There is no tomb. There is no grave where a body lay. He's alive. He answers our mind's doubts. He satisfies our soul's longings. And the third thing is he forms our heart's mission. If you go to verse 46, here's what it says. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, 
beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. When we have encountered the power of the resurrection, the risen Jesus, it changes the mission of our heart. It changes what our lives are about. These guys encounter Jesus. They encounter the resurrected Jesus, and their world's turned upside down. What do they do? Jesus tells them, hey, you'll read in Acts 1-8 and the end of Matthew, Matthew 28 and Mark 16-15, all these things where he tells them, hey, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going into all the world. You're going to be my witnesses to Judea, to the ends of the earth, all this. You are my witnesses. You are going to proclaim the story of the resurrected Jesus, the truth of the resurrected Jesus. And as us who have encountered the truth of the risen Jesus, it changes our heart's mission. It changes what's important in our lives. That when we have understood, been bought back and redeemed, we can't help but tell other people about it. And we're called to take this message and this truth into all the world. The truth is, he's going to cleanse the material world of all its brokenness and all its blemishes, disease, death, imperfection. All of that will be done away with. And once we have witnessed and encountered the risen Jesus, man, he is empowering us by his spirit, the spirit of power, to go into a lost, hurting, and broken world and proclaim that message. And our whole life is shaped by this. When we encounter the risen Jesus, man, he frees us. He frees us. I think he frees us from a couple things that we see. First of all, he frees us from this world. This world, man, it's got a grip on, right? There's so many draws from this world, so much that we would want. But he frees us from it. And if we lose something, you know, so what? <laughs> we have him. If something doesn't go our way, so what? If I can't sing and I can't dance and I can't do either, so what? You know what? One day I will be able to. One day I will be able to. So what? He frees us from this world. But he also frees us for this world. I think as, as followers of Jesus, we understand the first many times that, hey, you know, we're freed from this world. We're to be different from the world. We'll be set apart from the world. But we miss the point of we're freed for this world. That Christian salvation is not just, hey, one glad morning, I'm going to fly away. Now, that's a cool song, especially when Rich plays it on the banjo. We, we love that. But Christian salvation is, is not that. Not one glad morning, we're going to fly away. Christian salvation is he came to us. The message came to us. He came to redeem this world. Not just pull us out of this world, but to redeem it. Heaven came down into the world to cleanse it. Martin Luther was asked, hey, if Jesus came back, he probably wasn't asked like that, hey, but if Jesus came back, what would you do? If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do? Let me pose that question to you. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? This is a pretty sweet response. Martin Luther asked the question, if he knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would he do? He said he would plant a tree. He would plant a tree. He said, imagine what Jesus would do to that tree. 
See, we get this picture in our mind, okay, we're just getting out of here one day. When the reality is, man, he's coming to redeem the world. And even now, we, we even look at the Lord's Prayer, right? For the will. His will on earth as it is in heaven. That what God wants now in our lives and the world around us is God wants us, he wants to redeem the world. And imagine what he's going to do if I plant a tree. Imagine what he's going to do if I begin to invest in neighborhoods. Imagine what he's going to do if I begin to invest in people's lives. See, when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, it changes our mission because we begin to understand that, that Jesus is coming to redeem the world, coming to redeem it. Jesus' coming is not the end of the world, it's the beginning. The resurrection gives you freedom both for and from this world. He sends us, and once we have experienced the resurrection, he sends us into this world to proclaim that message to the hurting, to the lost, to the dying, a message of power, a message of truth, a message of healing. So he answers our doubts, our mind's doubts. He satisfies our soul's longings. He forms our heart's mission. And the last thing is he heals our spirit's wounds. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement. He showed his hands and his feet joy and amazement. Why, why did he show them his hands and his feet? And why after Jesus is resurrected do the scars in his hands and his feet even remain? We all love that, you know, that, that movie with the, the happy ending, right? I mean, you, you go and you see Hollywood and the blockbusters, the ones that make all the money, are those movies with that, that great ending. If they don't have a great ending, they probably, uh, they probably tank. But if they got that great ending, they do well. We, we've uh, recently, I think Karen's mom bought us Rogue One. Anybody seen Rogue One? Anybody Star Wars fans? Okay, it's, it's, it's a movie that I asked my son the other day. I'm like, hey, you want to watch it? And he goes, no, it's kind of sad. <laughs> it's kind of a sad movie. And you look, and I don't remember her name in the movie. I'm sure most of you can probably yell it out. But she's in it, and the, as you see the story of her life progress, you see her mom's killed. Her dad is taken into, he becomes a slave and captured. She goes to live with some crazy, I, I don't know who he is, but he's some crazy warrior. And you see all these events of her life kind of lead up to this moment. The moment where she kind of becomes the hero of the story. And then at the end of the movie, after all these things, and it's, it's a movie that, my son's right, it's a sad movie. A lot of characters die in the movie. A lot of the heroes die in the movie. But the end scene in the movie, you see Princess Leia there, and she gets this, that are the plans for the Death Star, right? At the end of the movie, and it leads in to that first Star Wars the new hope. See, all these events had taken place. Sad, 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 sad hope. And so many times we, we see the scars, 
and we see the struggles, and we understand that the truth of it is that God takes the scars, God takes the struggles, and it becomes part of the story. As it is with the resurrection, the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet, they're a big part of the story, aren't they? That he endured the cross. He endured that suffering so we could have that hope. The hope of the resurrection. The hope of why we are here this morning. To celebrate Easter. And why does he show them the scars? See, up, up until this point, See, up until this point, they have thought, okay, Jesus, Jesus is going to be in control, right? You know what? We're, we're going to be his cabinet. You know, we're going to be DeVos, and we're going to be Perry, and we're going to be Carson. And we're going to be all these guys, right, in his cabinet because he's the man. And so their whole world is turned upside down by the scars because they believe Jesus is coming to conquer, and they're going to be at his right and his left, and they're going to be all, this is his team. And the minute those nails drive through his hands and his feet, their world is over. Their lives are ruined. They don't realize in that moment that those nails actually save their lives. That because of the nails and because Jesus gave his life up, they could have it. They could have a full an abundant life. They could know the joy. What is the resurrection? Not joy in spite of the suffering of Jesus, but joy because of it, <laughs> because of what he endured, because of the suffering. And why do the scars still remain? Because this is how God's salvation works. The joy and resurrection power of God will not make you forget all of the wounds and the trials and the tragedies of your life, the resurrection power of God will include them and explain them and ultimately redeem them. It will turn them into sources of joy. All the struggles, all the pain, all the hurts, everything we've experienced in our life, God wants to use them. God wants to transform our life. God wants to find our soul. He wants to take those moments in our life, and he wants to make them part of our story. That through those hurts and those struggles, and now that I understand who Jesus is and the power and the resurrection, now that, that part of my story, it becomes pretty powerful, doesn't it? And you look at, at lives that are changed because of the gospel, and you look at what they've been saved from and their past, and that's a powerful part of their story. That God has taken someone even like me, and he's redeemed them. He has bought them back. He has given them life, new life, abundant life. That's what he offers. We love that ending, don't we? I remember last Sunday sitting on my couch watching the Masters. And here is Sergio Garcia. And I'm not a big Sergio Garcia fan, but I'm, you know, I'm starting to read this and, and know about Sergio. And I see him making this comeback. And all of a sudden, I'm rooting for Sergio. And if you know Sergio's story, he's a guy that fell short many times. He had never won that major. He'd won some tournaments here and there, but not many of them. But the major ones had eluded him. And now in golf years, he's no longer all that young, which he's still younger than me, which is kind of depressing. But here, here he is, 
coming up the 18th, right? And man, my heart starts, I'm getting excited. All of a sudden, I'm Team Sergio. I'm rooting for him. And then you see all the emotion when he wins that playoff, his excitement and his joy. And you can't help but think, all of that that he's endured, all those things that he went through, all the losses, were part of the story. Were part of the experience there for him at the end and the joy that he had. As we look at the gospel and we look at Jesus and we remember what he's done and we look at the bread and the juice, remember that he went to the cross and the nails driven in his hands, the nails driven in his feet, that they're part of the story. They're part of the story. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we were healed. What a truth. What a truth. There's so much joy. There's so much power in the resurrection. And we look to the cross. And we see his scars. And we know by those wounds, we can be healed. You can be healed. You can know forgiveness. You can know new life. You can know a peace. You can know someone that answers all those longings of our soul. It's Jesus. And, and I would invite you this morning that, that if you don't know, if you've not encountered the risen Jesus, that that, that can be this morning. That can be today, that today you can know Jesus. Today you can understand the power of the resurrection. You can understand that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in you. That's what he offers us, new life. We're going to pass the bread and the juice around, and we encourage you, if you know Jesus, that if you understand the power of the resurrection, that you realize by his wounds by his work on the cross, and by his resurrection, you can have new life. We want you to join with us. Take the bread and the juice. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, we invite you to, like the disciples here, to have that argument with him, to have that discussion with him. Look in here. See the truth. Understand that it is a physical, historical, true event the resurrection. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we were healed. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. God, we thank you. By his wounds, we have been healed. We have been healed. God, if we are here this morning and we don't know the truth of the gospel, we don't know how Jesus gave his life up for us and three days later was raised from the dead. God, help us to understand that. Help us to find that truth. Help us to ask the tough questions. Help us to search the scriptures, to know the scriptures. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, as we look at it, God, answer our mind's doubts.
that we know Jesus can satisfy our soul's longings and he can give us our heart a new mission to go into a hurt, dying, and broken world. And ultimately by his wounds, by the scars in his hands and his feet, we are healed. Thank you. Amen. sure about a resurrected Jesus. Man, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, I'll be here, and if you would love to talk more about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on the cross, our God is not dead. He is surely alive. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful Easter.